As you know, before each episode, we like to highlight a feature of Jane that we like most. And today we are talking about Jane's support and customer service, which is unmatched. Jane's support team is just a phone call or an email away. It's actually so pleasant to call into Jane's support line. Their team is available 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and they offer email support too that's particularly helpful if you have a question, but it's not super time sensitive. When I do come with a question or I'm wondering how something in Jane works, I met with a kind and patient human on the other end who's able to help me find the answer. They work in a way that actually empowers you to learn more about Jane and how the program functions. I typically use their live chat or email function. Jane currently offers live chat to clinics in Canada, the US, and North, South, and Central America. And if you're working to set up your account, you want to hop on a chat and work with a live team member to find an answer, or you can find the live chat option in the need help tab in Jane's top right corner. I tend to prefer to use the phone support, and Jane offers phone support to any current Jane user and anyone who isn't yet a full Jane client. So if you have a burning question or you just want to talk to a team member about the experience of using Jane, you can absolutely feel free to call. So their phone line is open 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. You'll be greeted by a real human, as we've noted, and they'll walk with you through your question or struggle. In Canada and the U.S., their number is 1-844-310-JANE, which is 5263. And their phone line goal really is to help you identify what's going on in your account and give you the tools to find a solution. I have found every single time that I've called that I have waited for less than a minute, which they are saying is their current wait time as well. So you're not going to wait long to talk to a real person to help you. Yeah, they've been so great over email too. Sometimes if I have a question, even though maybe I could have found it on in the guide, I sent them a quick email and they've actually taken a screenshot for me, circled the, the part that's important and also sent me the link to the guide. It's been so helpful. I don't say this lightly. Every single employee at Jane that I've ever had a conversation with has been extremely pleasant, whether that's through the support team, if I have a random question, this whole process with Jane getting sponsored. They really genuinely are a very, very nice team of people. Having this kind of support through Jane gives me such peace of mind to not have to worry about the logistics or technical behind the scenes work. I know I can log in for the day and get started doing what I need to do for my clients and my practice. And if anything happens, I have people to call on. If you're keen to get started with Jane, you can head to their website at jane.app slash mental health to dig a little deeper into the features we've been chatting about today. And if you know you're ready to sign up, use our promo code EDGECOUCH numerical one MO for one month grace period to settle in and get things up and running. And now on to the episode. Welcome to season four of Edge of the Couch. We are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to talk about in school or even supervision. Edge of the Couch is not training or supervision. It is for student therapists, new therapists, and therapists wanting to continue to explore their evolving therapist identities and ways of working. When we are talking about clients, please know we are deeply committed to protecting client confidentiality. We are too passionate therapists and good friends sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Come join us at the edge of the couch. Hey, hey, welcome back to edge of the couch. What? I like that. Welcome, welcome back. Surprise me. <laughs> welcome back to edge of the couch. I'm Jordan Piquel. 
And I'm Allison McCleary. Today, we are talking about the art of asking questions. We haven't yes. I, we haven't totally settled on a title, but I do. I do like I like that. I think yeah. it's a great title. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Good juicy. I think because therapists, new therapists in particular, there's a lot of stuff around asking questions. And um, yeah. obviously, we spend a lot of time in grad school talking about crafting questions. Yes. I think some of the things that we're told aren't quite where we end up landing in practice. So we can talk more about where we're at now in terms of asking questions and then also what we see in newer therapists. Yeah. And I think that new therapists, or at least I did, I thought that asking questions was like the main thing that I did Mm -hmm. as a new therapist. And now I'm like, yeah, it's a part of it. And I do think that it takes years of practice to kind of craft a repertoire of comfort. Maybe it's not even like the list of questions, but just like a comfort in asking about a variety of different things and maybe finding these very specific ways that we're going to talk about that make question asking easier regardless of the type of question that you're asking. Mm -hmm. I can get a felt sense of what it felt like back in being a new therapist and figuring out questions because on the podcast, I'm developing this new skill about doing interviewing um, our guests. And I Mm -hmm. do think I'm good at asking questions when it comes to therapy. But then when (laughs) I get into this interview space, I'm always confused as to why it feels so difficult again. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is because I go into an interview with questions already in mind. Right. And it doesn't flow with the conversation necessarily. Good interviewers have that skill in being able to make it conversational while asking the questions, which I think also skilled therapists are able to do. Totally. I think that you're right that as the skill develops, there's like a comfort that comes and that I can trust no matter what my client says next, no matter how shocking Mm -hmm. or out of left field or like I didn't see that coming or whatever, I can still roll with it and ask a pretty good next question. Not that every question I ask is great, but some are okay. You aren't going into the session having planned what questions you're going to ask. And when I was a new therapist, I did. Right. Yeah. And people might listen to this podcast and then like literally brainstorm what questions they can ask (laughs) in their next uh, session. And I think with some clients in particular, it's harder. So it's harder to pull things out. It's harder to have that flowing conversation. And so it feels like I'm preparing for the session by thinking up questions to ask. There are some clients who just want more questions from you. Yeah. When I do my feedback informed treatment conversations with them and I'm saying to them, what did you like? And they're like, I really liked that you asked a bunch of questions. Like kind of mm-hmm. in a first session, I'm like, okay. So there are some clients who are just not elaborators and they're not tangential in their speech yeah. and they feel really uncomfortable with the, the silence or the space. And those are people who do need, I think. And it's okay, right? It's okay for some clients to prefer being asked questions. Then you have other clients who you just say, hi, and then that's it. They're gone. You don't have to ask a question for the rest of the session. Right. Right? And so there is like the spectrum of how clients need us to show up. But ultimately, I think we both would like people to feel prepared to kind of go use questions as like a therapeutic intervention very Mm -hmm. deliberately instead Mm -hmm. of just like, I should ask a question now, knowing that it takes a bit of practice. I like what you said about 
clients who tell you that they really enjoy, like they need you to ask questions. And that gets to the piece about process, being able to talk with clients. How does it feel? How did today feel in the way that I was asking? Like I realized I asked a lot of questions today or I realized that, you know, that, that we were having silences or whatever it is. Then the client can speak to like, oh, I need you to ask me more questions. That can be permission. Or mm-hmm. they might be mm-hmm. like, I feel like I just need more space to think. Yeah. You know, that I think are slower. And so Mm -hmm. that can give us some idea of like, maybe you don't need to ask question, question, question. And there are some clients, I think, in my experience, who there's something, maybe this is too strong of a word, but there's something threatening about asking questions where they just kind of go into their turtle shell of like, it's too overwhelming. You're asking Mm -hmm. me to be too vulnerable. I don't know Mm -hmm. the answer to that question. And Mm -hmm. so they kind of shut down. You kind of have to be in that not co-regulation, but the attunement. You have to be in attunement to figure out where people are at when you're asking questions. Is this getting them somewhere or are they getting frozen? Yeah. Pay close attention to how your client reacts to a question. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think listening to tapes or rewatching our audio or our our videos is so valuable because – if you can see like, oh my gosh, I was on my client's heel. Every time they took a breath, I had a question yeah, and I didn't totally. give any space or, oh my gosh, I, I did, couldn't think of what to say and I didn't I wanted to give my client space so I gave them so much space I, and then I can see them squirming, right? Mm-hmm. So really mm-hmm. noticing that and that asking is the, as the, you know, the best question to ask, right? <laughs> if you can only ask one question, it's like, how yeah. was today for you? Yes. And so seeking that and, and and maybe you watch a video and then you go back to that client. And so in the next session, you at the end of that session, you say, some clients really like space and silence. How mm-hmm. are you feeling with that? And follow up. And you're right. There are some clients, I think, who the two of you are trying to figure out a pace together. Yeah. And so you have to really respect the pace information that the client is giving you that they can't go there with you yet. If you're like, what's your relationship like with your mom? And then you see mm-hmm. them like recoil. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask follow-up questions. I'm going to go to like, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> yeah. Instead of like, and your brother and your dad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think really paying attention to your client is huge when you're asking questions. Yeah. What kind of questions land? But as new therapists, we're up, up in our heads a lot. We might not yeah. notice. And I think it's hard to own when something isn't the best for phrasing. Yeah. You know, if you ask a question, it was like, that didn't make any sense. But you just kind of – a new therapist. Yeah. Yes. You realize that it didn't make any sense and then you just kind of sit there versus now I'll be like, oh, that was – that doesn't make any sense, does it? Um, yeah, this is what totally. I need to say. Mm-hmm. You can go back. Just like at the – like you said, at the end of session, how was this for you? I realized that I asked lots of questions today and that they can speak to that. I think too if I was to be – I mean we've worked with students – uh, so when I work with students, I think a question that I have for them when they are question asking, so there's this meta question situation, is what is your goal here with this client? And depending on the client, depending on the session that they're – the number of session that they're in, depending on their goals, it it is going to change that you can be seven sessions in with a client and the goal is still rapport building. You can be two cl- sessions in and the client's goal is to onboard a skill and to learn a skill and to be practicing right. that skill. Mm-hmm. And so – your questions are going to be formulated from kind of that developmental place with them. If we're right. we're building, I'm concentrating on like slowing down, doing a lot of process stuff. We're always holding these two things, right? It's like, mm-hmm. like, oh, let go of the bigger picture and just be in the moment. And then also constantly be aware of the bigger picture, right? I think that we can, <laughs> we kind of do both because totally. if you are trying to, like you said, if there's a skill building 
thing, then your questions are going to be purposeful. It's not yes. just throwing out questions for the sake of continuing the conversation. So it is knowing the moments where you should be asking more questions and the moments where you should be doing more basic empathy. And re-watching your tapes and re-listening to audio, I think is the with your supervisor maybe is the number one way that we get good at that. Like mm-hmm. it comes naturally over time for sure, but watching and then going, oh, I should have shut up there. Yeah. They said this thing. I formed a question. They said two more things and then I didn't go with them. I, I asked that question about the yeah. first thing mm-hmm. and I missed that juicy thing that they said in the middle because yeah. I was concentrating so hard on responding to that first thing that they said. Totally. And you and I talked about that. Like sometimes you were going to form – as now much more experienced therapist, sometimes I will form a question that I think is so good and I'm really looking forward to asking it, but then the conversation moves beyond it. Mm -hmm. And for me to then ask that question would be regressing the conversation. And so I have to let go of that beautiful question that I have, Mm -hmm. hope that it comes up again at another time. And so you will do that too. You will be forming questions and then gauging like, is now the moment? Is this an okay time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes down to pace because new That's therapists cute. do think that therapy should be at a breakneck pace. That <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? That they yeah. want to ask all of these questions. Is this related to this? And mm. go into trying to make something happen. And I think when you're trying to do that, you're gonna ask more questions. Oh my gosh, totally. And you're gonna be like jumping on what people say to take it into another direction where, like you said, if you have a beautiful question and the conversation continues, I think a lot of therapists think, okay, but they say these, you know, 10 sentences next, but that's not what's important. What's important Mm. was the thing that they said that I have a question for and will (laughs) want to redirect clients back Mm -hmm. to that. And when you're new, especially like you need to go with where the client is because I think new therapists often err in the direction of trying to make something happen and trying to bring clients back to specific places because they have a juicy question to ask. Totally. And I've seen that with my students, right? Where I listen to audios and it's not these specific students, it's all students, it's all new therapists that do Mm -hmm. this, where it's like you had an agenda as a therapist Mm -hmm. and it did not matter what the client said, you were going to get them to that, to see what you were seeing, right? right? And so then we neglect what the client is saying to us and we we neglect to ask the question to the the client, which is what's most salient to you? Where do you want to go? And that's Mm -hmm. Again, like we can let go of our agenda. Not that the, I mean, I still sometimes fall into that trap and then realize at the end of session, like, oh shit, I didn't ask the client what they wanted to talk about. I assumed mm-hmm. this is what they wanted. It's not like it just happens to new therapists, but I think it happens to me much less now than it used to. Right. And then they might say that this is not what I wanted to talk about today, but it got to a good place to which I go, oh yeah. no. Totally. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like, like you don't have to say that. Yeah. Okay. Just tell me that it wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah. Something fun you and I want to talk about is let's imagine we're new therapists. We were <laughs> very recently, you know, it's not like that long ago. And um, we have information that we want to gather, but we can hear in uh, in reviewing our audios that we are asking too many questions, too mm-hmm. many direct questions, just like right. question, question, question. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about ways that we can ask questions without asking questions. I think if you were to actually listen to our tapes that I think you and I probably would ask way fewer questions than you'd think because we use a lot of these other statements. Way fewer. Way fewer direct questions. Yeah. How is this for you? You know, 
yeah, process like, questions. Yeah, process questions. Of. But yeah. in terms of like content questions, like very few. And when yes. you're a new therapist, I, I think it comes to trust. Like it's hard to trust that therapy will go where it needs to go. So it's like, ah, I need to make something happen. And yeah. if I don't ask these questions, if I don't form it into a question, then somehow it's going to be lost. I often think about changing questions into statements. This is, I think, the easiest way for your sessions to create more flow where you don't feel like you're interrogating your client is to mm -hmm. reframe questions into statements. We both use these things so often. So it'll be like, <laughs> instead of, do you think this is related to this? It's, I wonder if this is related to this. Instead of, yeah. why was that? Why did you do that? It's, I wonder what was going on for you mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. it, it is getting to a question yes. place, yes. but it's a statement and it's very, it's less using your power. It's more yeah. ground up. I think people mm -hmm. go more into their bodies when you go from a statement place versus a kind of an analytical head down place, yeah. even though it's almost the exact same, same words. I wonder what was going on for you. What was going on for you? Yeah. Very similar languaging, so but I do funny. think that it makes a difference. And the tone that we use matters. And this is where we're going to talk about why you and right. I are both fine with why questions. The tonal approach to a question does make a really big difference. And that even when we go from what is going on here to like, I wonder what is happening for you. We see there's like a sinking in and there is something about once we get rid of the like, this is a question that ends in a question mark. Our tone shifts. Yeah. You immediately slow down. Yeah, you immediately slow down. I think it's permission giving for the client to like percolate a little bit because mm -hmm. I wonder, wonder, pondering. I have to chew on it a little bit to get to answer versus like, bam, bam, bam. I know the answer because lots of times clients are in murkiness. Yeah. They don't have clarity on the answer yet. And so by saying like, gosh, this is sure reminding me about that stuff with your mom, which is something I say a lot. Not the mom thing, but the like, this reminds me of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's a question. The question is, are these two things connected? Do you think these two things are connected? But I'm not asking, do you think these two things are connected? I'm just saying, huh, this sure reminds me of this thing. The other thing about this reminds me of or that I wonder is that you're owning it. Mm -hmm. You know, that the therapist is owning it and then yes. the client can take it or leave it. And then it puts them into a wondering. Like you said, they don't have to know the answer. They don't have to go, oh, it is related. They can go, no, no. hmm, and then start to like slowly yes. think about it, like Perfect. ponder it. Yeah. Versus mm -hmm. having to answer, yes, it's related. No, it's not related. This is the way that it's related. I think, yeah, new therapists can very much get into the, do you think that it's related to this? I, I should say it in a softer word because they're not saying it like that. But they'll say <laughs> like, do you think that this situation is related to what was going on with your mom? And that is so that really puts clients on the spot and they'll be like maybe usually they'll be like maybe yeah i don't know or probably yeah. mm -mm. Mm -hmm. and then it kind of stops there yeah another thing that i like to do which is technically a question but you don't have to formulate your own question about it is just repeating what the client said back but with a question inflection mm -hmm. there's question there but it's not and how did you feel about that is the question right. but you don't have to ask that other things are like, I'm curious about that. I'm mm -hmm. curious about if. what, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, say more. And so, oh my like, gosh, say more is, yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Tell me more about what you mean by that rather mm -hmm. than what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Yes. Yeah. It's like so different to me. It's an invitation. 
And I think tell me more implies that the client is the expertise and they know more mm-hmm. the, or the expert and they know more, mm-hmm. right? By saying like, tell me more. I think it implies like you have more there to tell me, you know mm-hmm. it. I want to listen to whatever comes into your head about this. There's no specific question. Just tell me whatever yeah. you want to talk about around this thing. It relies on trust, like from the therapist yeah. about the client and about therapy, because I think a lot of fear for new therapists is that I'm going to say, tell me more about blank and that they're not, the client's going to have nothing to say. And then I have to scramble to create yeah, a new question, yeah. right? You when, might have to. You might have to. But a lot of the time saying, say more, clients, they might be flustered for a second. Mm-hmm. Because they'll be like, oh, I thought I thought when I said what I said that I was, totally was self-evident. And <laughs> especially it'll be like, well, tell me more about what you mean by blank because we've said before on the podcast, oh, I and then I had a breakdown. Tell me more about this breakdown. Like yeah. say more about that mm-hmm. versus like mm-hmm. kind of continuing with whatever the next piece is. There's assumption, I think, sometimes when we're asking asking questions. I think we have to talk about that, that what something you and I have noticed in our students, that what I'm sure was true for me too as a new therapist, is that asking questions from a place of assuming that we have already figured out what the client means by something. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a trap. It's like just the only assumption you can make is that you have no idea what the client means by something. And the only way is that you're going to have to ask to find out. So if a client uses any feeling word, if a client mm-hmm. describes anything in a non-concrete way, even if they describe it in a concrete way, so things like breakdown, freak out, uh, a mental break, this people say all the time, mm. I was sad, mad, bad, glad. It doesn't matter. It's very important to say, what do you mean by that? what I mean by breakdown and what you mean and what 10 different clients mean. We have 12 different definitions here of breakdown. Yeah. Even something like, you know, my childhood was strange. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the like, tell me more about what strange means mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. you and what you mean when you say that. What do you mean when you say that, right? Yeah. Versus like assuming that we know strange means this, which actually strange is a great example because I have no idea what someone would mean by that. Right. Oh, yeah. But yeah, something to think about. Toxic, like those kinds of words. Toxic. I, I, I also think that, yeah, and, uh, another issue is, like you said, that assumption. So mm-hmm. it's so interesting how therapists will be putting together theories about what's happening for a client. A client will say something and it'll be so obvious to you that it's related to this other thing that they've talked yes. about before. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, and yeah. to them, it's not like you cannot assume that they already yeah. make that connection. Because no. sometimes it, you get to that place to and then they'll be like, oh, wait a second, this. And then you'll be like, yeah, I thought you realized that as uh, you were saying it because yeah. you use the same exact language. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think when we ask questions, mm. just be very careful of assumption. Be very careful that that, this, that you assume that they know the implication of what they uh, and how all of these other things are connected. And that doesn't mean that Again, I want to take pressure off to stop trying to make connections for clients. Yeah, you don't have to click the puzzle pieces together for them. Like this thing of how you are showing up in your romantic relationships clearly has to do with your relationship yes. with your dad. Like you don't mm-hmm. have to do that. Mm-hmm. You can give the cl- even though sometimes it is very obvious, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you'll think that you've clicked yeah. puzzle pieces together and that doesn't fit for the client, and then you just look like a jackass because 
you tried to click this thing together that doesn't fit. But totally. it's true. Like, stop trying. I mean, and I know this is like so much easier said than done, but stop trying to kind of like mm-hmm. lead the client to water. Like, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. You can just begin to, you can just go like, okay, there's something going on here with your relationships. Yeah. Yeah. That's also something that I would do instead of asking a question. There's something going on here. Yeah. There's something going on here. There's something to that. Yeah. There's something Ooh. here. I've said that before. There's Ooh, something the fingers here. Fingers rubbing with, together. Yeah. In yes. terms of uh, in terms of nonverbals, yeah, non-verbal. I'm rubbing my hands together like the money sign, you know, like the <laughs> inter- international money symbol. But uh, just like there's something here, rubbing mm. my fingers together. Um, be careful. Just this is a narrative therapy thing, but be careful how in terms of the way you ask questions, the assumptions that you're making about kind of who's the subject, where is the problem, is the problem mm-hmm. in the person, is the problem outside the person. Um, mm. I wish that I had an example off the top of my head, but I do I do think that we make assumptions in the actual language yes. that we form questions, not just the questions that we ask and where we're trying to lead clients, but the actual phrasing of the question. Yes. Like when did you start doing that? I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to think of a, of an, an example. Maybe if I come up with one, I'll, I'll bring it back to the, the conversation. But I do think that we can assume that something's a problem, that maybe it's not a problem, that the, that we locate the problem in the person clearly when maybe they don't see it that way or that it, the problem's not actually in the person. I, yeah. Hmm. And that's where I think a lot of my questions for clients is about clarifying. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if I'm going to say, if this is a problem that you're having and hey, really quick, is problem an okay word for me to use? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about us calling it a problem? So, or I might use like four or five words. So I might say, man, this is a big like problem, challenge, concern, issue, you know, whatever yeah, we're calling it. Right. Yeah. And then they can say it's an issue or I call it this and yeah. or actually I'm calling it this. If we use, I mean, I think about the words like survivor versus victim, toxic mm-hmm. versus abusive, and when we use those synonymously or not and the intentionality behind that. But if you use a word that is in any way charged before the client has said it, I think it's good to check in to say, hey, how do you feel about that? Yeah. I'm using the word victim, but I'm wondering how that lands. Mm-hmm. And then really respecting whatever the, the client says. Yeah. I love using multiple multiple phrases and it's interesting because another thing that people that we talked about this in grad school right is like ask one question instead of like five like one after another yes and i don't ask like five questions but i do sometimes will put in those like you said what do you think is happening here with this issue with this toxic abusive strained relationship right so i'll like (laughs) use a thesaurus of things because i don't want to put it on the client yeah I like to land on the right one by casting a wide net, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's also permission giving for the client to say, I like this word. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, because you can do the like, the this, this, and this, or whatever it is that you're calling it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And then they can tell you what they're calling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The multiple questions thing, it's so funny. It's like, ah, you just brought back memories right. <laughs> um, of like, that was so the criticism I constantly got was that I would ask yeah. like, two questions instead of just one. And now it's like, yeah, I get it. The two questions. Yes. Okay. It's better to ask a more refined one question, but I just don't beat myself up yeah. about that anymore. If I'm like, question, question, I just don't worry about that as much anymore. <laughs> like I used to really worry about it. When I ask multiple questions, they're usually getting at the same thing. So again, totally. it's like me trying to throw – I wouldn't necessarily be like, 
tell me what happened and why do you think that happened? Or tell me, you know, <laughs> no, no. Tell, tell me again. It's interesting how I go right to statement. Do you hear that? Like, I'm yeah. like, we don't ask questions very much. No, I don't ask questions very much. So it'll be like, either. Um, wow. Like, like, what do you think? Tell, again, tell me um, what happened. And <laughs> it's it's so interesting because I'm so trained <laughs> to make it into a statement versus a question. That I'm so hearing you ask what happened was like, yeah. I had like a visceral reaction. I'm like, when was the last time I said to someone, what happened? I yeah. don't, I think the only time I would ask would be like, what happened? If they were like, immediately crying or something. Mm. But I don't I don't know if I've asked what happened, what happened next. Probably in if it's years. a process question, I'll be like, what what just happened? Something just happened. Again, I go oh, to a feels- statement. Something just happened rather than what oh, just happened. Something just happened. Something, something just happened. Something happened. Something just happened there. Yeah. 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 Statements. I think most questions can be statements. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the other thing. We're going to loop back to why questions because, mm. again, why questions are really like demonized in grad school mm-hmm. or at least they never ask a why question. They sound so judgmental. I actually don't hate a why question. I think that there is time and space and tone for a why question. Um, you, you know, you and I said like sometimes the why is very purposefully asked like uh, almost facetiously or like to get mm-hmm. at a different But I have replaced a lot of my why questions with do you have a sense of? Yeah. Like, do you have a sense of why – What we're, even having a why there. Like do you have a sense of why you were acting that way right? or that you showed up in that way? Um, is it like why did you do that? Mm-hmm. I'll be like what was going on for you with that? Mm-hmm. What was going on for you versus why? Because it gets to like I was feeling this mm-hmm. rather than I, I don't know from my childhood. Like I, why? I don't know. I'm an asshole. Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> – but I don't know. I, I do think that we can use the edge of why questions to our advantage when we're asking something facetiously or it's about something else or maybe it's just yeah. such a ridiculous situation But it, yes. where I'll be like, but why? You know, the same. it mm. can be like a point of lightness rather yeah. than interrogation. So I do think that why why questions can be really useful when they're used. It, it actually can, in my experience, bring a relational kind of camaraderie feeling. Yeah, because it's the humor. So it'll be like, but why? Or why did they do that? Yeah. I think if if a client has done something that's really not self-serving, like they're like, well, you know, like my friend called and then called me all these names. So then I went and bought them ice cream, you know, and I'll be like, why? (laughs) No, and it's like, come on. We've been working on this. You got some ice cream? Right. Get out of here, you know. And that they, and then they're kind of like, I know, oh, I did the thing, and yeah. not like, well, I did it because da da da. Like, I don't think yeah. it breeds defensiveness in the same way mm-hmm. as being like, why, which is different. Yeah, why did you do that? And yeah, and what you're describing is you already have an established relationship, exactly. and that why exactly. questions in the beginning for new therapists probably, yeah, maybe you do want to use why questions sparingly. <sighs> Even if you want to ask a why question, that's my thing, is if you're having to do mm-hmm. transcription, it might be interesting because what we were taught to do is you ask a question, they would say, how would you make that into an empathy statement instead? Interesting. I don't even remember that. Because it would be like, stop asking so many questions. If you weren't going to ask <laughs> yeah. a question, what kind of empathy statement would you like? Oh, you I sound angry. Something. Like, oh, that sounds like that was a lot. And instead, for me, I wonder about 
like for new therapists as an activity, you think of, you look at the questions that you asked and how can you rephrase that into a statement instead? Because I I do think, yeah, we don't want to be parsing apart in the moment what's going on, but just as a larger picture, like what are my habits as a Mm -hmm. therapist? Like, oh, oh, I have this habit of asking, do you think that? Why do you think this? you know, all these different questions. And then what happens? Yeah. And then instead, what is it to start phrasing into, I wonder, I'm curious about, say more, tell me about this. Notice, like if you were to experiment with that in your next sessions, how does it change the dynamic? How does it feel different? I think too, every once in a while, whether it's um, theoretically, like in training or like in that couples therapy show that I made you watch a bunch. I love me too. It's so good. Or in movies or whatever that I'll hear a really good question. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God, that's a good question. And one that has really stuck with me from couples therapy when she's speaking to one of the men about their experiences and he names anger and then she asks him, is that a familiar feeling for you? Mm-hmm. And he like connects so much to yeah. it and breaks down. And that I was like, oh my God, that is a beautiful question. Beautiful question. It's one now that is like part of my repertoire with the clients in the feeling place that I can ask, is this new for you? Have you felt this before? Is this familiar Mm -hmm. for you? Familiar. Wow. It's a beautiful question. And it's close ended. Yeah, it is. Right? It's a close ended question. And I think it casts a wide net, right? It's not, do you think this is related to blank? It's, Mm -hmm. is this familiar? Because, right? Then it goes like, oh, it's, familiar in this way that you as the therapist were completely wrong about. Oh, it's familiar not about my dad. It's familiar about my other experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. I do have some favorite questions. Mm, Tell me. Do you have any favorite questions? I mean, I feel like I say them on the podcast a lot. And like I said, a lot of them are statements, but tell me your favorite questions. I think my favorite question to ask and clients, I think it tends to open up some juicy stuff is I'll ask after I've explored the feeling, so, oh, it's sadness, I might ask something like, do you have any sense of why sadness was there but not anger? Mm-hmm. And that's about like the nuance of like, oh, it's interesting that it was sadness for you. I think that uh, – and not anger or like that it was anger and not sadness is a really common one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think helping clients to refine their understanding because 10 people can experience the same thing and have 10 very different emotional reactions to it. And it's interesting for me to understand how clients make sense of what their reactions were about. Right. So like, oh, it's anger because I felt disrespected or it's sadness mm-hmm. because it made me think about my childhood or whatever. I really like that question. Um, when I think about that, again, like my mind goes to a statement where I might say something like – if I were you, this is the if I were you thing. If I were you, I'd be angry though. I hope listeners can hear how that's a question. Yeah, exactly. Why were you angry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to ask that. Yeah. yeah. Or And again, like why is it sadness and not anger? Mm-hmm. And I might say I'm surprised that anger wasn't the, the response, mm-hmm. especially when it's so obvious that anger yeah. would be any other person. Would be ang- yeah. You know that you can just go anywhere and angry. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd be angry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where you're just kind of naturally reacting to what they say. Totally. And and this is where when we pop out of our analyzer brains as therapists and as new therapists, and we're just allowing ourselves to naturally react, thinking about our authenticity episode, thinking about, you know, what the heck happens in a second session episode and these types of things where it's like, 
really it's about having a natural flow that the client says something and that you are present in that moment with them. And whatever comes out of your mouth next Mm -hmm. is both natural in that it flows with what is happening, but it's also a therapeutic tool. Mm -hmm. But that it is both what we say has weight and it's okay to get it wrong. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, it matters and you should use your words as therapeutic tools. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're going to blunder. And I want you to talk a little bit about how forgiving clients are. Right. Yeah. So when I have listened to my tapes, when I listened to my tapes in the past or listened to client Mm -hmm. tapes, you know, I'm so, I would say, I, I I can just say I feel skilled in asking questions now, like the yeah. art of asking questions, or should I say yeah. statements, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll hear, and it's it's usually like they're leading questions often, or they're just like totally the wrong question. They, they're based on- They miss. Yeah, they mm-hmm. miss like the five things that they, that just happened, and it's clear that they're asking a question from- five minutes ago that they've been stewing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll be like, oh, that was that was a terrible question. That was not yeah. a good question. And yet the client will just take it and run with it. As <laughs> if even if the question didn't make any sense, it wasn't related yeah. to what they were saying. It's amazing how clients will often, you know, hear your question and go to the place that they need to go that people bring into therapy that they want to work through this stuff. Like yeah. yes, there for lack of a better word, there's resistance. There are things that get in the way. Their, you know, defenses and all of these pieces. But I do think that at its core, people are there to get work done. And they, yes, there can be dynamics where people are looking at therapists like, what are you going to do to me? Take yeah, me to the place. Me. Yeah. But um, I do think that people are there to show up and and that they will take themselves and they'll think. They'll actually, at the end of the session, great questions. And then I'll be yeah, listening totally. and being like, those weren't great questions. Or just in myself being like, I'll ask a question realize, oh, then maybe that wasn't the best question to ask. I should have asked this question instead. And they just go off like, great question. And it's so funny when when a client does react with like, what a good question. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's not even that good. (laughs) That's not even part of my like – because sometimes I'll ask a question and my mind will be like, damn, Allison, that was so good. And sometimes clients are just like, yeah, well, anyway, and they answer and they don't think it's good. But it's funny, the the questions that clients are like, good question. That's not even my best work. Right. And that's why we shouldn't make assumptions, right? About totally. like where the client should go because where they need to go is where we'll end up going. So when you're grip- gripping and trying to get the session to go to a specific place, I think that that's your first mistake. And it's what makes you feel not as good as a therapist. Mm-hmm. You will feel the misalignment and you won't know why. And you'll yeah. think like, Ugh, it's, it's, not me. Feeling, it's not flowing. It's not smooth. There's something wrong with me. And it's actually just like, you're just concentrating on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's that saying, I think, about working too hard is because you're working too hard to make it into something that it's not. Mm-hmm. You're having the wrong conversation. Mm-hmm. And that really you need to be what with what is happening right now, your curiosity, the process, what's happening in front of you rather than the content and trying to connect it to these other things. Because when you yeah. get to that place, you will be frustrated. How do we wrap up? Good question. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my God. Uh, how do we wrap up? I would say be kind to yourself because I think yeah. that I have maybe come across a bit harsh. Well, I don't think. Do you think so? Really? Well, just saying know. like you ask too many questions. You're always leading <laughs> and the questions that you do ask are terrible and unattuned. Well, I'm sure you're not saying that exactly like that to anyone. <laughs> But I, hope. I do, I mean, I do think and this is where maybe I'm keeping in with 
graduate school stuff because I'm like, yeah, you do probably ask too many questions. And yeah. we should be more purposeful with the questions that we ask and try to use statements more. This is why I always allow my students to watch me do sessions, mm. listen to me do sessions mm-hmm. for that reason. So that because I think – think about the therapy that you saw when you were a student. I saw my classmates do therapy on each other. Right. I saw the training videos from the 70s. Right. And then I saw nothing else. I had no context when people were saying like, do this instead of this. I didn't – no one was showing me what that looked like. Right. And so I think that by inviting when, – when clients consent, of course – to invite clients to my sessions um, mm-hmm. really gives them a sense of like, oh, this is what she means when she says like you're asking too many questions. This is what therapy looks like when there aren't as many questions asked. And then like – and sometimes I'm sure I have lots of ASCII sessions, but overall, mm-hmm. this is why mm-hmm. if you were going to take one thing away, do not stop recording your sessions when you become – when you graduate. I think intermittently recording your sessions as a – practice throughout the entirety of your career is so important to listen to the type of therapy that you're doing because that's how you will continue to refine your skills. You can do it without this. But I think it's easier to do it if you're – even though listening to the tapes is like torture, mm-hmm. right? It's like awful. It's like, ugh. But it will help you to be like, I am asking way too many questions. Totally. Yeah. Without having to like be fully paying attention into the, in the session of how many questions am I asking because that just gets hard. Yeah. Let us know what you think. You can yeah. send us an email, connect at edgeofthecouch.com. You can follow us on Instagram, DM us at edgeofthecouchpod. We would love to have you on Patreon. We're sending out more content. We, we're also trying to get folks to do consultations with us. I think you can be you yeah. can be a patron or not where you would meet with Allison and I on a Sunday to talk about something that's coming up for you in sessions. So something non-clinical, but more um, process oriented, like this is what's coming up for me in terms of imposter syndrome, or maybe you realize "Ah, I'm asking too many questions, help Mm -hmm. what's going on for me. And then Allison and I would have a conversation with you. So you you get like kind of a free consultation and then we would record it. Right. And you, you, we record and put it on Patreon for um, our patrons to listen to. So So if you want to join us, talk to us for an hour, let us know. Um, And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Hey there, this is Alex from the Jane team. Jane is a thoughtfully designed practice management software with features like one-on-one telehealth, customizable email and text reminders, intuitive scheduling, and more. But being part of Jane means so much more than the features I've listed here. It also means that you've joined a much bigger community, a community of dialogue with other small business owners through our community forum, access to live webinars, and a support team who's obsessed with showing you all the solutions that Jane has to offer. So come say hi at jane.app slash mental health. We'd love to meet you and see if Jane is the right fit for your practice. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think, ask a question, or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear. You can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode. You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch.